Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm Adam Green. It was great seeing so many of you last week in Miami for Art Basel. I always enjoy getting out of the cold of New York City to go down south to Miami. It's actually snowing here today in New York, so I had a nice one-week hiatus from the cold weather. Um, And it was great seeing so many people from around the world who come to the fair, collectors, dealers, galleries. Um, It really is a great opportunity to network and catch up with so many people. Uh, I thought the art this year was particularly strong at both Basel and NADA, as well as at the private museums. If you haven't come to Art Basel Miami yet, you should do so next year. I think without a doubt, it's the best art fair in America in terms of the quality of art, as well as just all the activities going on around the week. In this week's episode, we're joined by Julia Halpern. She's the executive editor at Artnet News, and she was in Miami for all the festivities last week, and she helps us break down everything that happened during Art Basel in Miami. We talk about galleries' expectations heading into the fair, and how did the fair go for galleries, how strong was the market during the fair, especially given the stock market decline we saw that coincided with Art Basel. Uh, We also talk about the galleries that showed at NADA and how those kind of galleries are changing their business models and responding to the way the art market uh, operates nowadays. And we also talked about the private museums in Miami and what they were showing. And we touched on a few other interesting topics. So it's a great episode. We hope you enjoy. Thanks so much. Julie, it's great having you on. Thanks for having me. One of the things you reported on at Artnet News is the tempered expectations that certain galleries had that were exhibiting at Art Basel Miami. Um, why were their expectations so modest and how robust were sales at the fair? Yeah, I mean, I think that the uh, the mood in general heading into it was very uh, apprehensive. I think people had uh, very low expectations. Uh, Tim Blum of Blum & Post said he had low to no expectations heading into it. And I think that was a combination of, you know, a relatively restrained auction season this fall in New York. Uh, The fair opened the day after a sort of major stock market tumble. And then there's the looming trade war with China and a kind of dim economic forecast for 2019. And so I think in general, people were not expecting to have a great fair. Uh, And I think what that means is that kind of any news is good news. Uh, And so, you know, it's easier to outperform low expectations than high ones. So people were were very kind of pleasantly surprised with how they were doing by the, you know, middle of the afternoon uh, in the morning when I walked around. And I think Art Basel had done a pretty conscious effort to keep the first few hours of the fair um, fairly, you know, uncrowded. So they had tried to trim the VIPs that come in at 11. Uh, and I think even that made some of the dealers nervous because they were like, it's not crowded in here. Like what's going on? <laughs> um, so, so it went from a very kind of apprehensive mood to a more upbeat feel, um, as stuff started moving off of the walls. Yeah. I remember heading into the fair also thinking, oh, the stock market falling so much. It's not, not a great way to start the week, but as you said, it seems like, um, Things turned around and uh, the galleries had a good fair. I know there's so much art in the fair and so many sales that get reported. In your eyes, what were some of the most noteworthy sales um, from the fair, either just because of the price tags associated with them or maybe they weren't necessarily the most expensive art, but there was a lot of, t- of attention on certain artworks um, by collectors and dealers? 
I think, yeah, there were a couple. And I think one thing that was really different from last year was also just that things moved earlier. Um, so last year, I think, you know, some galleries did end up closing, um, you know, north of, of million dollar sales, but most of that happened later in. So I think, you know, there were a couple of really, really high price works that sold um, or the deals were kind of finalized quite quickly. One was um, Pablo Picasso's uh, Tête de Femme at uh, Van de Weg Fine Art, which uh, was, was listed at $17 million. Um, and another that went like quite quick was the, um, was the Lee Krasner painting at Kasman that was listed for $3.6 million. Um, and that's kind of in line with her top prices at auction. Um, and another one was, uh, was a Martin Purrier sculpture. Um, and I think people are very interested in his work, obviously ahead of the um, Venice Biennial where he'll be representing the U S um, and that sold at Matthew Marks for um, around 1 million, which is also kind of in line with his top auction prices. So those were, I think a few of the kind of interesting big ticket sales. And then, you know, another thing that a lot of people were talking about was the, uh, the cause, mania uh, that happened at Pace Prince um, that uh, Katya Kazakina wrote about in Bloomberg, but that right when the gates opened at 11, um, even though apparently Basel had tried to keep it kind of, you know, more exclusive, there was immediately a line at Pace Prince out the door for um, for an edition of uh, Triptych by Cause priced at, um, I think, $65,000. It was an edition of 100 uh, and the demand was so great that they ended up having to like basically do a lottery. So people wrote their names down uh, and were essentially like picked out of a hat in order to have the opportunity to buy this work. Yeah, I uh, I did when I was entering the fair. I did see some runners. <laughs> did you running? I to saw Pace a few. Or elsewhere. Uh, I asked them they were going to Pace Prince. So I <laughs> you could kind of, I feel like you could make an assumption, but I did see a few people actually run. So. Uh, Right. And um, running, I feel like is like that is like a 2013, 2014 move. Uh, I feel like I haven't seen that in a very long time. Maybe it was a fast, kind of a fast. No, it was almost a run. It was <laughs> somewhere between a power, yeah, power jog. Power walk. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, so it was uh, interesting to see that. Another topic that. Um, you know, that I think was touched on a lot during the fair, and I want to get your opinion on and hear what you heard is about is about black artists, especially young black artists. You know, they're really having a moment. Um, a lot of them that sell in the secondary market did really well in the May auctions and November auctions. And then, you know, I think that was really on display at the fair is a lot of these um, artists, especially even those who uh, aren't really at the secondary market yet. Um, I think collectors, you know, from talking to them, they're really happy that, you know, they're getting this increased attention. I think there's also some concern, I'm hearing at least, about speculation and even a bubble here. And then you have kind of private museums and museums really acquiring these artists. Um, What Did you hear a lot about that during the fair this week? What are you hearing on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's definitely, it's a a tricky subject because I think also, like, you know, we wouldn't call people buying a lot of work by white men, like a fad. So on the one hand, it's sort of like, it's weird to generalize so much, but it's also true that I think that there is this sense. I mean, one dealer told me that a collector asked, like he overheard a collector asking literally like, is that artist black? Um, And so there is this sense that there's, that there's kind of an opportunistic 
elements here, um, you know, where people are kind of looking for profit as they do in any, you know, moment in the art market. Um, and I think Switzerland this year was kind of a moment, um, just how much great work was out there by, um, you know, uh, specifically African-American artists in who were active in kind of the 60s and 70s, and that's sort of some stuff that you ended up seeing at the auctions this fall. Um, Miami really felt like a moment to where people were bringing out work by, um, you know, artists, younger black artists who had been influenced by those artists. Um, and you are getting to a situation where the, you know, for some artists, the waiting lists are like, you know, over a hundred people long. I think that's the case for Derek Forger at um, Josh Woolley's booth in uh, Art Basel, Miami Beach. And, um, you know, the, the waiting list for Nathaniel Mary Quinn is, I think, you know, hundreds of people long. Um, and so, like, I think that there is this, there is a crowd mentality that's certainly, like, you know, circling around some of these names. Uh, and I think, you know, just like any, you know, moment where that happens, it's going to be up to the dealers and the artists to make smart decisions about, you know, how they want to control the career. Um, and it's true. I mean, I think that museums have also been kind of waking up to the importance of some of these artists that they've ignored for a long time. Um, I certainly know that a lot of institutions were very interested in looking at and potentially acquiring work from uh, the Ebony Patterson show at the Perez Museum. But I also think it's kind of important to note that we're still like it's correcting an imbalance that's been going on for so long that it's going to take a lot to, to get to a place of equity in institutions, particularly, um, you know, we did a, a research project in collaboration with in other words, um, earlier this year and found that, um, looking at 30 U S museums that, um, acquisitions over the last decade had been, I think only 2.3% had been of work by African-American artists. So I think, you know, it's definitely something that museums are paying attention to right now, but they have a long way to go. And you also chatted with several galleries at NADA uh, and wrote an article about that on ArtNet, really about how the changing art market is impacting their business models, uh, specifically the kinds of galleries that exhibit at NADA. What was their, what was the kind of the general takeaway there in terms of kind of some of the major ways in which uh, their business models are changing um, and how they're coping with that as a result of just the way the art market is now. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting to me to talk to them because I think at this time last year, the sort of narrative about, you know, fairs being kind of a challenge for smaller galleries, the the kind of overall um, economics being really difficult um, was something that hadn't kind of fully saturated the conversation yet. Um, and, and at this point you can just kind of like say it as, as fact. Um, and, and it seemed like, you know, in between last year and this year, dealers had really started to kind of consciously tweak their business models in order to become more sustainable. And I think that that looks the skill of the the different skills of the dealer, where the gallery is located, the kinds of artists it represents. But, um, you know, we heard about strategies everywhere from, you know, uh, developing a more sort of um, robust secondary market part of the business to, um, you know, 
two galleries moving in and sharing a space. Um, it seems like a lot of the kind of strategies that were discussed earlier this year as um, like theoretical solutions are actually being implemented as real ones at this stage. One of my favorite parts of Art Basel Miami is going to the private museums, the Rebels, Dela Cruz. Did you have a chance to visit those? What was, were there any themes in terms of what was on view um, at these institutions or these private museums, which in a way they kind of act as trendsetters um, for the art world? Yeah, I mean, I think that we saw kind of a continued uh, look at um, at the the general shift towards uh, reevaluating artists who have kind of been overlooked or not considered in, you know, the right context in the past. And at the Rubel Collection, you had uh, a big show of work by Purvis Young, um, who was a self-taught uh, African-American artist who lived in Miami uh, and who in back in 1999, um, when he was not very well known at all, the Rubels purchased, I think, his entire studio, so like 3,000 works. Um, and they later donated some to Morehouse College and, and kept some uh, and received some later as a gift from another collector. So you see kind of a mix of that work on view there. Um, and also saw a selection of, of some of his work at NADA. And I think it's really, um, it's very memorable. It kind of looks like when you see it, you know that it's that it's him. It's really textured. Um, and and it's it's got this sort of, you really feel it as a body of work. Um, so that was one of my favorites, for sure. As we look at the week and how things went, from those you spoke with, how did, how did people feel about how the market is at the moment after the fair weekend came to an end? I think there was a, you know, a bit of an exhale that people, it wasn't kind of like the bloodbath that people expected. I think um, this is something that Josh Bayer mentioned in his newsletter today, but that there is kind of a diminished appetite for risk by sellers. Um, so that's part of why you saw a lot of galleries offering, you know, expensive stuff that was already part of their inventory. Um, and some of that, you know, the very, very top end did not sell. Um, so I think there, there is this kind of feeling of like, you know, exhale, we're good for now, but, um, but still a bit of anxiety about what's in store for next year. Julia, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, helping us recap and analyze what happened in Miami during Art Basel weekend. Uh, if our listeners don't already, they should read all of your writing on Artnet News, and you're also on social media, often talking about the art market and the art world. Uh, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Julia Halperin and uh, on Instagram at, at Julia Halperin also. Thanks so much for having me. Definitely. Thanks again. Appreciate it, Julia.